Blog Talk Radio. Pagans Tonight Radio, the voice of the pagan world, featuring the man with all the questions that some don't want you to hear. Called the most dangerous person you will ever listen to, the ever-curious digital pioneer, Ed the Pagan. And for everyone for being here tonight, and I'm so excited to be here and talking with you about gatekeeping. That's going to be our subject tonight. But really quick, we want to thank everybody out there who has been answering the questions that have been laying out. Uh, and what started this question here tonight, we're going to just jump right into it. Um, but we want to give you one piece of housekeeping. If you have any news that you want to report, anything that you want to say, this weekend, next weekend, there's going to be a lot of Pagan Pride. Remember last night we did Mary uh, Hawk talking about Nashville Pagan Pride, and this weekend is Puget Pagan P- Pride Day. Um, Lawrence Lerner's very big, uh, is a big, big fr- a friend of ours, and he's been developing it. And there's a lot of great people that you hear in the Pagans world. They're going to be out there kind of talking about it. So we're going to check it out. I think one of the big ones this one at Puget Sound is going to be the Chris Copeland uh, piece, and also uh, Pamela Griffith, who just did Virtual Circle, for the thank you for those who joined us. And she's going to be talking about how to do online ritual as part of the Pagan Puget Sound virtual reality. So, And then the Parliament of World Religions is coming up next month, which has gone all virtual. So we have a lot of virtual stuff happening. But in that process, there's been a lot of discussion of what the idea of what we call gatekeeping. So let us start at the very – this is going to probably be a more in-depth look than I, I thought it was going to be when I thought. I thought I was going to just put my opinions. But in doing a lot of research on gatekeeping and understanding it, it's a, it's a very vital part of what we do. So the original idea of gatekeeping or is, is the guard at the gate of the old cities. It really comes out of the idea of protection. And at one time, you had gatekeepers at gate through walls cities and towns and so that was one way to do so and at the same time you had it around the king the queen the nobles the original purpose of a gatekeeper was to essentially control access to spaces and persons so that they did not become endangered and so at the core of it gatekeeping is about acting on resources. Now, they didn't call them gatekeepers in the Middle East. They called them gatekeepers kind of, sort of, but it was not really where the vernacular began. It began to be noticed in the 1920s, and in 1943, it was really when gatekeeping was laid out as a providence, and that was, um, and that was an essentially that. But it was originally, like in 1922, it was, it was identified in literature as early as 1922. Uh, the the immigrant press, and it was all about the news media. It was all about what the events that happened and were recorded every day by the media, and anything that didn't get into the media was set to the side. And then it was formally known by Lewin's publication of the book, Forces Behind Food Habits and Methods of Change, and they called gatekeeping. And Kurt Llewellyn conducted field research initially among Midwestern housewives to determine how effective changing their family's food consumption during the time of war. Lewis recognized that food had to go from a store or a garden to the dining table and that there were various decision-making processes that had to pass on the way. Pedia, thank you. At the time when men were thought to be in control of the household decisions, Llewellyn found that foods do not move by its own impetuous. Entering or not entering a channel and moving from one section of a channel to another is affected by a gatekeeper. The gatekeeper in this case was typical housewife or sometimes made in a more affluent household. And, and the research showed, Lewis's research, that demonstrated that all household members have equal weight in making household food decisions and that the wife, who typically shops for food and preferably controls the gates, based on a number of considerations. And then he continued on about the roles of that complicated matters. And then here's where it is. In 1952, David Manning White, a journalist professor at Boston University, looked at the factors an editor takes into consideration when he makes news decisions. So what we really discovered, that gatekeeping in its, at its core was essentially the idea of controlling access 
to the larger thing. And the, where we started to see it, because we started applying more scientific methods and things like that, it always existed. And we can call it influence and we can call it other things. But essentially, anyone who has to protect a resource or something that is deemed a resource and it can control access to that resource is a gatekeeper. There are three, and we'll talk about it a little bit, but there's actually gatekeeping functions in the computer. Um, H32, I found this out today, in the H32 systems where that computers will control what data goes in or not into a computer. So that's very essential for understanding. Gatekeeping has a lot of purposes. I'm going to jump all the way now to 2021. And what started this conversation was the idea of baby witches. The term being a self-identified kawaii or cute culture. Kawaii culture is coming in, folks. It's going to be the next big trend. It's already here. That's the whole thing. It's already here. And it's kawaii. It means cute. And it's bunny ears and it's baby names. And it's, it is a projection of infantilism. There's no question of it. And that, that infantilism and innocence are, are valuable to us again. The idea of the cynical, you know, the cynical teen is making way for the teen that can appreciate being cute. The teens that can, yeah, the things that are fluffy and soft. And so in our harsh, harsh world, we're starting to see this idea, and it comes from Japan, of the idea that things can be cute and be pleasant and enjoyable. And, and it's a continued expansion of our ideas on a world that can be more gentle. And this is every generation has started to see a, a gentler world at one level and a harsher world at others. And so baby witches are really a part of that wonderful moment where we are seeing, for one of the first times, a self-labeling that makes it less important to people or less to it. And so a lot of older witches, especially because witchcraft is a deeply feminist movement, it originated as much politically as it did Religiously, I mean, the fact is, is witchcraft in and of itself is not the religion. It is actually the skills and art of creating magic and influencing the society around you. And witches have always done that. Wicca is, a, um, is more of the religion, but witchcraft was not. And so what we see now is that witchcraft is joining and becoming a very big part of the youngest generation. And according to a recent survey conducted on teenage habits, 51% of all teens in the United States, by the statistical average, have a divination practice from reading astrology, reading tarot cards, whatever it is, 51% of all teens, that means more than half, have some sort of divination practice. And that of that, 27% were actually having a daily practice. That means about 18, 19% of the entire teenage population right now has a daily divination practice. And it, and it continues into young adulthood. So this is a very important influence to us. This idea of divination, the idea of this practices, because it shows to witchcraft, which shows to the growth of it. And TikTok, amazingly, is, is very much the barometer of this day, just as Facebook was in 2009, 2010, 2011. Uh, Witch School, which has just celebrated its 20th anniversary, was very much that early community utilizing chat rooms and e-groups, e kind of the e-group e system, where people were writing letters back and forth to each other. It was a great time. Yahoo Groups was very much involved with that. Um, one list, e-groups finally Yahoo Groups, and it was just recently retired. Um, the band and the continuation process because we have all these other systems. So the barometer is TikTok. TikTok is a system that's only an app that it takes 15 seconds to 30 seconds to 45 seconds to one minute um, videos, which you do, you, you do little skits, you can do whatever you want with it, and includes 
built into the system, music, and so you can do dances. And what really started, because it came from musically a couple of years ago, that became TikTok, is that it really allows you to integrate and do dances and more music. It is now growing and moving beyond it. In there was a fantastic witch culture. People were showing off their altars. When I joined it two years ago, it was very much about the altars. They were showing us what they had on their altars, talking about crystals, all these one-minute pieces of information. And in that process, they started referring to themselves as baby witches because if you really look at TikTok, it's very much an absorption of the kawaii culture or cuteness culture. They have scary clowns. They have young women, young men doing dances, making jokes, simulating uh, comedians, and they became huge influencers. And they began building large audiences of basically commercial length. This is what IKEA TikTok is. What we trained to commercial length and old broadcasting days level of entertainment. Brave World, New World talked about the coming of the jingle as the main primary source. We've been talking about for years about, oh, they don't have the attention span to hold on to it. So instead of fighting that, TikTok actually goes right into the 15-second to one-minute video, um, the old commercial length. So that this repeats as, we've taught, as we teach ourselves how to utilize media, we continue to do so. And in it became the self-labeling of baby no, you're infantilizing yourself. You're a beginner witch, a novice witch. Some people point out you're an acolyte. You, you can be a dedicant, an initiate. In my tradition, you're a dedicate when you begin. But in this process of the eclectic witch, which has never been very comfortable with by most of the old community, even though they're helping create it by publishing all those books. Remember, I keep talking about you can't criticize if you're trying to make money from your marketing to expect to be successful. So if you are mocking your market and you're writing these books and saying, well, they're all doing it wrong, then you have a control issue. And that is part of gatekeeping. We'll talk about that yet. But we're going to continue on with this. So Baby Witch became this thing, and they're self-labeling it, but yet the other people uh, do it. And there's even an article out on Patheos. Um, that was say, shared with me, uh, and so it was shared with me. And in it, before I, it was one of the things I hated about it, and I really did hate this, is it makes it so bad. But what it really did is it began to it's it's, it's at patheos.com. Words have power. Why baby witch is problematic. July 23rd, 2020, Sydney Eileen did it. And she's talked about this before, that words have power. And she says, baby witch, right, was also frequently used as a self-label, which gave it validation. So out of respect for that choice, I tend not to ignore it, even when it's not self-applied. So it's the idea that it, it's the idea that this is infantilism and that you are is that you're basically inputting an idea that you're not an adult, you're not responsible for your actions. So they took it from baby isn't cute. They they said no, baby means infantile. It means not responsible for your actions. And they even tried to go so far as to say, Sydney in this article is saying that, okay, if you're applying it to yourself, that's fine. But because you're applying it to yourself, she insinuates that it is being applied to the entirety of the community. And this is where we start with gatekeeping. That very statement says you can use it for yourself, but because you're using it for yourself, you're making it apply to everybody else. So you're taking a person's personal choice of calling themselves something, in this case, TikTok baby witchers. And there's also TikTok mama, witch mamas, which are their trainers. So instead of having you know your coven, you have your witch mama. So they started and they found themselves in TikTok with a very familiar baby witches, teen witches, uncle witch, Alan Salmi. So they began these, using these familial terms, which were very cool. And they started using that in their training programs to create it. And their communities online are larger than the communities that Facebook formed. 
their already larger number of followers on TikTok, reaching into a million, than any Facebook which page has today. And it rivals even the largest of the Instagram, and oftentimes the baby witches, the mama witches, the TikTok witches, their influencers there are often influencers on Instagram. Facebook, on the other hand, is, is moving away from it, and it represents an older and the, an older group of individuals. So the younger witches are moving to the millennial witches, especially late millennials, are really moved into Instagram, and then TikTok is even younger. And Facebook is aging out. It's getting it's the it's the it's the place that the parents and grandparents are hanging out, and the older which is the over forty groups that are hanging out there. And so that's that rivalry um, in that sort of situation. And Twitter, on the other hand, has a huge also a huge witch community, and that tends to be, as I can tell, much more of the academic and authoritarian and author situations. And they, too, are very much discussing the idea of this this realm of the baby witch. So, And what it rarely represents is that who gets the right to call themselves a witch and who gets to call themselves anything. So now let's go back to my original part. So the original thing about 1950 we began to realize is that gatekeeping was an essential part of how we receive our news. That's where it began, the term gatekeeping. I mean, we know what it was. And it was also being used simultaneously in the advertising markets to actually say who was the person who was making the decisions, purchase decisions. And the next thing it began, and we really highlighted then into the advertising agencies, then we're starting to deal with the agents, movie stars. They started seeing not just how the movies were making money and that increasing amount of money. I mean, movies were popular then, and there's always a sort of agent that protected the individual, the gatekeeper to the uh, to talent. And their job was a very important one. They were supposed to protect the studios to make sure the individual they hired did do their work because of the temperamentality of the actors. But more importantly, it was to extract value from the studios to make sure that their client, the star, who can attract attention, and by attracting attention, makes money through the studio and the movies, was going to be basically taken care of. And the way they did it is by making sure that they had, the individuals came and asked for access to them, and then and made sure they made the right movies for them or the right commercials for them or went to the right parties or was seen with the right people and seen with the pictures of it. And that became a very important part of it. And so you had the agent, which protected the movie stars. You had advertising agency who wanted people to want these people in their lives, so they had to figure out ways of bringing them into the lives of the individuals in order to get them to buy product and to influence the gatekeeper to the kitchen, which was used last we said, housewives, maids, other people who cooked and made a decision-making process. And remember, pizza would soon start to come into here, so this was another thing. And so these were the gatekeepers. So, So this is what gatekeeping started out. It was a control mechanism to scarcity and to create value out of that scarcity of access. Gardner, Gerald Gardner, did not find found the word Wicca. There's a huge thing of where Wicca came from. I'm not going to get into it. And it's probably the deepest singular debate in the Wiccan witch community is about Gardner and uh, other aspects of and other aspects of who founded the word. I'm not going to get into that aspect. But what is essential to it? is where gatekeeping entered the pagan community, or more importantly, the witch community. And it was the idea that it was private, it was secret, and only a few people knew, and that all of a sudden you had these witches emerge to say, okay, here's how we're witches, and these are some of the things you can do to be a witch yourself, but you have to be initiated by a witch. 
But we're going to tell you all about it through high magic. Uh, all these sort of drivers are published. Uh, Saunders, Alexander Saunders began to publish, to print, to make movies. And they violated, in a very direct way, the idea of avowed secrecy while trying to create and maintain a secret order where you would practice through your people. So they provided education to the masses and then the people they initiated and taught to were to be the gatekeepers of initiation. And this is appropriate. This is where gatekeeping is a very appropriate answer. They initiated to these people who really wanted to become initiates had to go through a gardenarian, a, a, a Alexandrian, and there were many other ones. Cabot would be starting in the 1970s. But you had to go through these individuals or their initiated directly line of them to be considered a witch. Now, mind you, that wasn't the way to always be a witch or a Wiccan. There were lots of other ways. And in fact, the witch itself, and this is another side of the debate, has always been the apprenticed or self-taught, but mostly an apprentice thing. But you became a witch through apprenticeship, through this sort of direct human contact. So we've always had, until modern times, the idea that the main person that can let you in is another witch. Think Gardner published. Saunders published. Sybil League published. Lady Sheba published. Charles Witeski of Llewellyn began publishing books in the 60s. And all these books. And all these books were in support to be recruitment teams. And if you say that we don't propaganda, oh, we, don't, we don't proselytize in our pagan community. That's not true. Gardner was the initial witch proselytizer. And he did it by publishing books. Anyone who's ever published a book to the public is proselytizing their faith. Which means Charles Wachesky and Llewellyn and Red Wheel and Wise and all those early publishers and Green Egg magazines were all proselytization tools. We tried to tell you that this is how it acts. And we hid it under the fact that we don't forced the religion. We just made it available to them. So they wanted to say that this is not proselytization because there's not a force element. That is splitting hairs. Pagans proselytize all the time. They just don't force, and probably because they don't have the power to, force people to follow them. So they see that it's different from the forms of proselytization Christianity does, which has a violent and forceful and power of law, gun, and worse, vigilantism and all that in that system. We've kind of cleaned it up so that we are using pull proselytization versus push proselytization. I right now know there's so many of you who are probably screaming, that's not true, that's not true, it's not true. Hmm? But in, in a very strong way of looking at it, it is. And so Gardner and all these other sort of teachers, and there's a lot of them. Um, my own Donna, Cole, my own Donna Cole Schultz, where I, I gained my Gardnerian degree, is four degrees from our Gardner. And so these, it, so it has become this idea of a very powerful system. And what happened was is that. Every group decided, so we then got into the idea of the eclectic Wicca. And so the biggest fight that ever happened in our community, and it's an ongoing fight, is that only BTWs, British traditional Wiccans, um, can be considered real Wiccans. And there's a whole argument against that. But they decide they were the ones who had the arbitration. And then Covenant of the Goddess really stepped into that in the 70s 
the eight, in the 70s, and they were trying to say, we're organizing all of the witch communities, and that if you're not a member of COG, at one point, I was told straight out, if you're not an initiated member of one of the COG groups, you're not a recognized witch, and you cannot become clergy. Covenant of the Goddess is, was one of the biggest gatekeeping organizations trying to keep what they saw as Wicca and witchcraft pure, and they wanted to do it through the same sort of initiatory process that had been developed all along. What was just scrambling this was the public's interest in it. Uh, you had shows like Bewitched, you had I Dream of Genie, and Bewitched did a lot of good for, the pay, for that community, especially because it moved to feminist groups. You saw Starhawk and Silver Ravenwolf all moving into these sort of places. We see Mock and Nightmare uh, of, uh, out there of the um, Anthony, uh, Susan B. Anthony Coven moving out there, really kind of developing this. We saw Z Budapest. We saw all of these energies of the witches moving out into the community. At the same time, we saw Llewellyn and Weiser pumping out more and more books, along with Thor books and, and other imprints of other systems, pumping out more and more witchcraft material to the general public. And by the time you started seeing this, you started seeing this growth. You saw Green Egg Magazine. You saw Margo the 80s to be giving out information so we had this sense of community and we're trying to teach everybody about it so they would give us respect as a community and at the same time to get into it you still had these gatekeepers and it was very hard to find groups and everything else so one of the things I did to bust up the sort of gatekeeping was in the 90s along with Reverend Don Lewis uh, and a number of other really great people we began to produce magazines called Psychic Chicago Magazine and would eventually become the Roundtable. And what we published in there were the names and its phone numbers for groups that were allowing people to join them. And we creased, created increased access to local witch and pagan groups. And there's Avatar Magazine uh, that was being produced out by the uh, Circle of Danu. And that was another one, and they were teaching their information, and they, too, acted to create sort of these larger things. Silver Ravenwolf began the Wicked Pagan Press Alliance, where they you would go into these magazines. Circle began to produce a catalog, a guidebook to groups that wanted to have access to the public. So as the public's interest grew, so, too, was the interest of the individual groups to begin expanding and finding members to join their groups. And this sort of open access wasn't gatekeeping, it, but it did help organize the gatekeepers. It was then open information. And they utilized this idea of information and providing it openly that it began. But what was the gatekeeping is what, who was being included and who wasn't. And there was always a debate over this. And so gatekeeping in the negative is to say, who is allowed to access our community, right? And so it's important to understand that. So the gatekeeping was how much, it was about control of information to the newspaper, to your television station, to your radio station. What was it that you were going to be getting access to as a listener and who would be able to write those stories and who would be able to gain that fame? what movie stars were on. You know, Johnny Carson controlled that seat. And you you weren't anybody to a lot of America until you were on Johnny Carson, the late night show. Hmm? And so Johnny Carson and the late show began this process. That, too, was a form of access to the American public. They controlled your access to these acts, but they also controlled these acts' access to you. And it made a significant difference by controlling that. They were able to produce real results in the modern world that sold product to you and gave you the stars that you liked, sold movies to you, comedians, and forever changed some lives in that process. Because the leverage of a gatekeeper is tremendous. And basically, it's based on how tight a circle you have to go through and what the amount of population on the other side is giving you attention. Attention economy. Recognize it? Big buzzword right now. But that is what gatekeeping is. Basic control 
of access to attention. It is the control and access to information. It's the control and access to resources. It's a control of how and who you can interact with. And it's a very important process because inside a witch's circle or a pagan circle or a coven or a temple, you only want to allow people who are willing to do the work. So gatekeeping is that process of doing the work. <clears throat> and doing that might be a part of that crowd. And that is, you know, so we're going to do something in the Corellian tradition next uh, next spring online for the Corellian illustration. And then it's called the Watan Council. And it's restricted. The only people who have access to it are Corellian priests and priestesses. And the only people who can actually participate is third degree and temple heads. So if you're head of a temple and you're third degree, you can actually participate inside of the thing. And we gatekeep by, by all the processes for you to earn that third degree to become a temple head and all that practices. And the gallery is made up of only people who are actually initiated and dedicated priests, priestess, and dedicants of the church. Literally, that, and they're only allowed to watch from the gallery so they can observe this process. So that's gatekeeping. And that's gatekeeping to control sources because they want to talk about how we organize ourselves and run the operations. Now, that's okay. The negative gatekeeping gets to call themselves a witch or a pagan or a pagan. Mm -hmm. And so just as, you know, the questions in the early days about the newspapers, was it worth being reported? You know, was there another story at the same expense of highly subjective value and who is paying for the right, you know, payola? And the same went true for music. Where was the gatekeeper? The DJs and the radio stations became the gatekeeper to the record companies and to the musicians and to what America would listen to. So do you see that? you see how that works? And so what's now happened is that we're now starting to see the changes. We are able to see people be able to get access to more information. And me as an individual, I started to see, and all of us as individuals began to see that fall away. Apple's iPod forever democratized more music. SoundCloud created more opportunities, even further democratized it. It took out the middleman, really. You didn't have to go to a record label to get on Apple iPods. And you can put a single, uh, single on it, and you didn't have to go through it. Today, Spotify, you don't have to go through a record label to get access to audiences. Spotify is still a gatekeeper, but it's, it's, it serves for something called open shelves. They don't really care. They have unlimited shelf space. So all you have to do is get through their process of qualifying. And they don't care if you never get ahead. They're just glad to have you in the catalog. Same with uh, Amazon Publishing. They took away the gatekeeping function of reaching millions and millions and millions of people, except the fact that you have to be on their platform. And they took away all of the judgment in in that you can publish your book through Kindle, you can publish your book, and then you can they will even help you publish your book. Uh, Corellian Publishing does utilize uh, that to a, a great degree, and we've published a number of books, and there's a lot more books coming up, um, like Medium 365, uh, a daily look at um, how to be a medium, uh, to tell the truth, a, a book about pagan journalism, all of this, and we're gonna have interviews and everything. But we didn't we no longer had to go through the publisher or raise a large amount of capital to go to the printer and take the risk of printing lots of copies. Those things are the gatekeeping functions. And what's happening to publishers now is they're having to now go from like, oh, you can't give and get on the shelves because of us, and that was a big power. Llewellyn was able to crack that, so they were able to get books on the shelves by following a formula of pumping books out like magazines. They were constantly renewing their books. So they didn't get stuck, they didn't get stale. They had to meet the modern Barnes & Noble border book system. But guess what? Today that's changed. So with all these processes, you see people have the right to state what they believe. 
and they have the right to kind of say you to be who you are. That has begun to change. And what happened is, I think it began with the Xers who didn't like the labels uh, baby boomers put on. Remember, the baby boomers have always been a very critical, and that's not all of them. The culture around the baby boomer generation has always been critical of everybody else around them. It is a very privileged generation and continues to be a very privileged generation. They still command and has all their lives the majority of the income in the United States. The assets, the value, is lies in there. And then they basically wanted to put on labels on Xers that they were slackers and other things because it was more difficult for the Xers in the workforce. They were kept at menial levels while the baby boomers, which was a much larger generation, kept the middle management and higher levels. And as Xers began to age out of what would traditionally low-end jobs, they were finding themselves stuck. And so they became slackers. They knew they weren't going to be able to move on because there was such a big and powerful generation before them. And so when they began to explore things, the baby boomer generation of witchcraft really tried to dictate what millennials did. And the millennials, or not the millennials, extras did. And guess what the extras became? They became eclectic. Because all of these traditionalists put out books about their traditions uh, the extras were able to read it all. In the 90s, you could start reading about all sorts of different traditions, and you can make up your own form of witchcraft called eclectic. And the number one form of, of practicing became the solitaire. So this began, has begun the thing. If you don't agree with me, I have to recognize you as a witch. It became the essential part of gatekeeping. Everybody has a right to practice and protect their assets. That was part of the point. You have a right to protect the sanctity of your coven, of your circle, of your family. These are useful tools of keeping the keys, to use a term of Hecate, a term of the idea of it, keeping the keys. I always say who has the right to keep the keys and that's a very important idea it would be like saying who gets to go into the store who gets to go into the space so if you have space that you want to protect a temple a circle a family a store anything like that who has the right to access and take control of those groups the key holder and the key holder has a huge responsibility and everything else this is where gatekeeping has become toxic it's not from that not from who can come into it this year we saw a lot of gatekeeping about vaccinations and that continues to be a very important part so anything that you're using it to protect something for the group for those individuals in there and, and to provide them with information, to control how we're giving the information out to people, that's good. Where gatekeeping becomes toxic is when you try to make your command. It can be about, you can be for your religion. And if you are not allowed to do it for your religion, okay, you shouldn't do it. But when you ask me not to do it, because it's against your religion, that's toxic and so in the baby witch you know the baby tiktok argument is an example baby witch tiktok argument outsiders saying you can't use that term you shouldn't use that term it's not right it's not fair and if you're using it you can't be really representing witchcraft and that's where the toxicity comes who because I have a right to to do this I've done my work I've done everything I supposed to do therefore I get to represent where it comes back to media represent our community but because we have so many more accesses to it boom I can't tell you with that person over there 
isn't a witch. They say they're a witch, but they're not a witch. And you shouldn't listen to them. You shouldn't be a part of it. That's toxic. You state your opinions. You can state it out there. We have now this all this access. And so now, let us talk about uh, you know, let me go ahead and talk about where the gatekeeping is gone. I'm just going to jump right into it. This is the last piece of it. But we have new gatekeepers, and that is the people online, sometimes trolls, sometimes information. The blogger who puts out their stuff can control the comments on their page. And everybody is trying to create their, their – first, they have their voice in the ideas of the marketplace. You know, And that's why we became the voice of the pagan world because we love to listen to the voices of pagans. And so that happened. And so you have your submissions. You have your discussions. You still have your publishers who are now deteriorating in this modern age because anyone can publish a book. And everybody gets mad about that. So we no longer – information restricted. There's really like the idea of any mystery or anything that was hidden has now been published. And it has been since the day Gardner started it. So it's been a, an energy of more than 70 years of constantly publishing it. Crawley even earlier than that for ceremonial magic. Uh, you had a few other books even earlier than that. So you have this sort of movement of making the information more and more public, more and more accessible to the public. Today, there's a pagan witch book being published on a daily basis and that the publishers are weakening and Llewellyn and Weiser and all of them. So Weiser's already become, let's help the author. And the authors are paying Weiser. Some authors are paying Weiser to publish their books. And then you have other publishers who are emerging. Crowley Publishing is one of them. There's a lot of small publishers, Moon Books puts out. So they're able to bypass these publishers. And now the authors, I think Alan Dugan's done it. Michelle Bellinger's done it. You can even bypass the publishers. And because Amazon has unlimited shelves, and all they really care is adding everything to their shelves. So if you want it, you'll buy it. So they don't want – so their idea of gatekeeping is to make sure that they have everything you could possibly want so that they can keep you as an audience from not using any other service. And they can't do it by restricting the other ones. They can only do that by adding to their own. So they're not gatekeeping, they're creating audience, but there's a little bit of gatekeeping to get in, but that gatekeeping is very different, and you can sell directly to your audience. PayPal broke up banks, the credit card system, so that individuals can go buy. So when anyone busts up a gate, gating system and makes that information, that access, it's generally been good for, for the community though bad for the individual who is formally controlling access. And this is the real argument. Access, control, access to information is unlimited. And that through that, by accepting of the eclectic, the eclectic peg and the eclectic witch, the self-professed witch, the self-initiated witch, which Ray Buck, uh, Dr. Raymond Buckland said was a perfectly appropriate answer to doing so, and the fact that the teachers and the systems that per did it to the old apprentice system, while publishing in an industrial system, was generating large amounts of people, and digitals made it even larger. So now we now have a network of gatekeeping. Paganism is a network of gatekeeping, both positive and negative. Um, and let me go ahead and explain the components of it. And this is uh, based on the, uh, the Brazilian Nehan, Nehan uh, approach to what is called the theory of networked gatekeeping, which I think is a very good thing. And it emerged out as 2008, but here it is. Gate. What is the gate? An entrance to exit from an organization, which is the gate to becoming clergy of the Corellian and other systems. Gatekeeping is the process of controlling information as it moves through a gate. Activities including, among others, selection, addition, withholding, displaying, channeling, shaping, manipulation, repetition, timing, localization, integration, disregard, and deletion of information. That's the battlefield. 
it has a lot of things. Activities. You know, we talk about selection. What books are available? Addition. Who's allowed to do, you know, to do those initiations? Withholding. Who's, who doesn't have a right to the access to community? Display. That's a big one. Robes and the way we present ourselves to the public. Channeling. It makes me think about New Ages and the spirits they're coming through you because you're the gate to the spiritual world. So, too, are the channels. So, in this case, uh, Pagan Tonight Radio is your channel to the pagan world. And we talk about all things about the pagan world. Shaping. This is the one that gets us the fights and into it. Maybe Witch Talk is really about shaping. Shaping the conversation. Shaping the argument. Manipulation. Manipulation is, as it sounds, who's manipulating the data? Repetition, who's repeating it? Timing, where it is. Localization, pagan pride is the number one way of creating networks, positively, through localization. Integration, who's allowed to be a part of it? Who, what other systems are part of this? Disregard, we already talked about it. They're not really a witch. And the deletion of information, that shouldn't be allowed. We don't want anyone to do so. And did you know, I actually had, through my questions last year, one of the reasons we make the jokes about it, I actually had, a tradition head says, do not read Ed's material. It's going to upset you when I was questioning leadership. They literally told the people not to pay attention, not to listen to what was being said around my questions about two years ago. Most dangerous man in there, in, in the pagan world. Gated. The next one we're going to get into is gated. The entity subjected to gatekeeping. What is being gated? So the right to your initiations, the right to your covens, the right to knowing who's involved is the gate. It's gated. The right to be published through Llewellyn is gated. Going to Wiser Books is gated. Who, in the old days of radio, when I had to buy my radio time, it was gated. You had to have access. And that's what's really falling apart. What way you're going to get let more and more resources are available to you that are no longer being gated and that that power of the gatekeeper is losing power as more and more access is. gatekeeping mechanism okay and this is the mechanism for texts and transcripts and all the things you expect on it a tool, technology, or methodology used to carry out the process of gatekeeping. Literally, it's the idea of taking tests and actually accessing the community and being able to get a chat and be able to sign up to the site. Um, for Magic TV, it was being on YouTube and being filmed. We, we kind of said, you know, well, you can do any sort of film, be under our brand to allow us to do it so that we can grow a centralized authority. That's the gated aspect. So the technology tool and methodology used to carry out the process of gatekeeping. And then it is the network gatekeeper. And a network gatekeeper is an entity, people, organizations, or government that has discretion to exercise gatekeeping through a gatekeeping mechanism in networks and can choose the extent to which ex to exercise it contingent upon a gated standing. So this is where when we scream about gatekeeping, 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 we actually aren't really talking about gatekeeping. We're really talking about gossip, action, to deny other people the right to form this. Network gamekeeper. The entities, people, organizations, and government that has their discretion to exercise gatekeeping through a gatekeeping mechanism and networks. Meaning, I have a right to control who can come into my house. I have a right to control who can come into my temple. I have a right who can access my information, even if it is a publisher. That makes it public. But still, that publisher has to – I have to give them the permission to my gated information. And then – and choose the extent to which they exercise a contingent above the gated so today, Facebook is a gatekeeper, but so is the information you put out. If you want to access your community, you get to choose your 5,000 friends. So that's how Facebook – in Twitter, you're allowed to put everything else, but that's out through you know, several hundred characters. It was once 140. It's building of a, of a site that is gated. Patreon is an example of monetizing 
that networked community that you have. And it has to do with the relationship with the gatekeeper, how you access that gate, how you get the key to get into that gate, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's where it is. There is the whole gate. So my questioning gatekeeping. So you should question gatekeeping. But understand, when you talk about real gatekeeping, it is about making sure that you have you're providing protection and access to resources and you want to be able to have influence over that. An influencer gatekeeps their audience so that they are concerning and curating information that their audience wants. And the minute they stop doing that properly, their audience leaves. So good groups practice good gatekeeping. Right? They set up rules and organizations to protect themselves. They build their own systems. But when they go to the public press where there's scarcity, where they try to compete for news, when they're trying to compete for attention, and they utilize that position that they have of gated their gates and their gated information, which you should only get through access to them, they then don't then the toxicity comes when they try to make you disregard others. And they're trying to belittle them. They attack them. They do everything they can. And it's really not gatekeeping. It's really gossip keeping. They're trying to keep you out. So it's really a form of censorship. So the practice of attacking others for their right to their information is really a form of censorship. It's gossip making. It's being awful. It's just the idea of you don't allow them, you know, they're not gay enough has been one of the early gatekeeping things. You're not a witch enough. You're not Christian enough as other ones. You're not enough. And so I'm going to use my position to say that you can't use the words that I said that are mine in my gated information. Unless those words are trademarked or in some way controlled, you don't have the right to do that. But that's not really gatekeeping. They're taking away a good word and replacing it with a bad word. But it really is bullying. It is about controlling information to make sure that your information is good. There's two ways to become to build the biggest tower in town. There's a way to make your information worth more and there's only two ways to do it. You either build the biggest tower, the best tower, the most beautiful tower. You take your time, your energy, put your art into it and build whatever it is that you want. Or you knock everybody else's building down to have the tallest building in town. So either you build and do beautifully and you do so and then you have a right to control that gate. You have a right to control those doors. You have a right to those who access your insides your structures, your spaces, and that's good. But then when you tell people, well, you can't build a house just like mine. You can't build it even close to being mine. I control this. And if you don't do it my way, I am going to destroy you. I'm going to gossip about you. I'm going to attack you so that I can make sure my building remains the most valuable building that my words are the words that people hear, that I will gather the attention. And I'm so afraid of you, and I know just like what you have to say, I don't want anyone to ever hear it. And there are traditions out there who have done this to me. And there are going to be people who are going to argue against this, art, this conversation tonight, my aspects of it. So is paganism practitioners of gatekeeping? Of course they are. Every institution of information Knowledge and influence has their gatekeeping. The question is, do what is the right of the gatekeepers? So if you understand their rights and what they have actually the ability to do, you can respect them. You can respect the I have passwords and gain a, a, a recommendation of a mentor or a recommendation of another person to become a member of an initiated process. You accept that as acceptable. 
and but you cannot dictate to other groups what their initiation process is to match your own. That is not it's trying to be a gatekeeper, but you don't actually have the authority. A real gatekeeper who is the key holder has real authority to make their words mean what they say. When they say, no, you cannot come to this space, they have ways of assuring it. When you go out and attack another group and say, you can't do your initiations, what are they going to say to you? No. And they belittle, and then you have to attack them to try to prove that you have power over them. Which wars? Which wars? Which wars? It's not gatekeeping if you have to prove you have authority over them. Copyright material, you can go to court, you can prove it. But if you cannot stop them from what they're doing, and you say that you have the right to do so, and you have to force that either through violence of some sort, gossip, anger, emotional dis- and disregard, or just purely just ice, all these things are a violent expression. If you have to use violence in any form, you're not gatekeeping, you're bullying. You don't have enough authority to be a positive gatekeeping role. So we're seeing that more and more. And so there's all sorts of aspects of of this toxic gatekeeper who are only a gatekeeper in their own mind because you have to be able to control the space to be a gatekeeper. You have to be the public who has a right to publish books through them and who doesn't. You have to be the editor of the magazine to make it, you know, to say who has a right to be in that magazine. You can't stop another person from writing a magazine. That's not, that's not real gatekeeping. You have to control the space. And with that, The rule, do you control your space? Is it a gated community? Is it a protected community? Do you have a right to protect it? Absolutely. It is when you try to enforce your rules onto other groups and to other people, and you don't have that authority, you don't even have the ability to do so, and you try to use force and influence to make them conform to your ideology instead of winning them over, that it is the dangerous toxicity. Baby witches of TikTok want to call themselves baby witches of TikTok. No one can stop them. And so everyone who's trying to say, oh, they shouldn't be accepted into the community, to disregard them, to try to use influence and violence and force. Because what is it? Force, violence, disregard, creating harm. Defending the faith is all the things that you cannot do, and that is not gatekeeping. That's bullying, and that's irrational responses. So these gatekeepers who are saying baby witches is not a useful term, not a great term, okay, that's a great opinion. And then when you move into say, I disregard, you disregard them, do not accept them into your circles, do not give them the right of their own label. Just like we did with gay people, just like we did with all sorts of things. You know, people of color, women who couldn't even have bank accounts, couldn't have their own credit card in their own name. Until the 70s, they didn't have access to that. So these types of situations, you're not any better than the people who, who try to prevent these types of actions through violence and bullying and denying them the right to self-identify. So be a good gatekeeper. It's a great way to be a good ancestor. It's a great way to be a good leader. So understand what gatekeeping is really about. And we should start thinking of calling out people who are saying, oh, they're gatekeepers, and say, no, they're not gatekeepers, they're bullies. And that, once we get there, will make for a healthier pagan world. I want to thank you for all listening tonight. I, I really appreciate all of the support. And we're trying to make our access as 
open and as positive as possible, but even we have a limit to what we're allowed to produce and what you want to hear. So tell us what you want to hear um, all out there. And tomorrow, I guess we're going to have we're going to have Tarot Thursday. We're going to talk a little bit about tarot. And so, blessed be, and good evening. I have to find a, a good ending again. Pagans Tonight Radio is sponsored by Witchschool.com, your anyone, anywhere, anytime online magical education. Blessed be, folks, until tomorrow.